Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hedlund. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insights into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello everyone, uh, this is Leif Hetland, and welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I am so excited today because I have some very, very dear friends. Actually, they are more than friends, they are family. Uh, some of the newest addition to our Kingdom Family and uh, Mama Jen and myself, we adopted them, fell in love with them. I first met Heather in uh, uh, yeah, actually in Baltimore, and over a period of time, you're going to get to know them. But we've been together on several occasions, and we're actually just uh, over at our house, a whole group of us, just having a blast of family time, eating good food and everything else. Anyway, Cardell, I just uh, it's been fun to meet you. He introduced me to Jordan, and for the people that are out there that don't know what it is, it is shoes. It is this Norwegian that didn't know what it is, and it's also Heather. They are pastoring a great church in Louisiana, but much more than that. They have this incredible overcoming anointing that I do believe is going to be released today and it's going to help people because many of you, you've been in a long wilderness, a long winter season in life and springtime is coming. So welcome and just to share a little bit about yourself. So we, I'm going to throw the ball over to you. Thank you so much. Uh, as he said already, my name is Cardell and we are pastors of Faith Christian Worship Center in Eunice. Um, um, last year, we, I was introduced to Papa Leif and uh, Mama Jen at the family um, family gathering. The family gathering, and my life was changed forever from th- from that moment on. Um, knowing um, I had the revelation of the, my value, uh, who I am. I'm a son of the of the Father, not just you know a, a nobody in the kingdom. I am you know. Just as a royal, you know, I'm, I am an heir to the throne, just like Jesus. Mm. He's my big brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my life has never been the same since I had that revelation. That's beautiful. Yeah, just, your story has touched me, and we've been hanging out for the last few days and, and laughing a lot. Uh, Cardell is one of those people, he maybe is a little quiet in a moment, but as soon as you... Yeah, as soon as you get to know him, there's just so much fire and so much life and so much love actually flowing out of him. And Heather, I I just wanted people also to get to know you, and I got to hear some of your testimony and story and even what God did. So what a joy to have you in our life. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, it's such a great honor, first of all, to be here with you, to be able to have this time with you and Mama Jen. We don't take it lightly. We know that it is an incredible privilege and incredible honor, and we are so thankful for it. It's been life-changing for us, and not just for us, but for our children as well, and we're so grateful for that. But uh, as Pastor Cordell said, uh, we've been married. It'll be 24 years this month, December 14th, and uh, that is a tremendous deal for us. We got married in a time where, um, you know, having a, a multicultural uh, wedding, being married in a mixed marriage was not so accepted back then, uh, especially in South Louisiana. It was unheard of, unaccepted. So uh, that's a real huge celebration for us, and we are so excited about it. But we pastor the most amazing church. 
in Eunice, Louisiana, uh, called Faith Christian Worship Center, where we have some of the greatest warriors, frontline warriors that I've ever met, that we've ever seen raised up. So we've been so tremendously blessed. We've been pastoring there. It'll be 12 years that we started the church on February 15th of 2021. It'll be 12 our 12-year anniversary. So super excited about that. But in September of 2019, I had the privilege of meeting you, Papa Leif. We were ministering at the same conference in Baltimore, Maryland, and it turned out that I could actually not minister because the love of God, the love of Father God wrecked my life uh, in a way that I didn't even know I needed it to be wrecked. And um, I went there excited to meet you and uh, meet Mama Heidi and uh, just be a part of what God was doing there. And it ended up that the Lord had a plan for me. And from that day on, it completely turned our lives around. So, you know, we made it our business. I think it was like two and a half weeks later, we went to VOA. And actually, that's the first time that Cordell got to meet you, but he didn't get to know you until we went to the family gathering in Colorado. So we've been making every, taking every opportunity we can to be with you as often as possible. And Mama Jen has been the greatest blessing in just the way she loves us. I'm so thankful for the way that she loves us and the way that you love us. And she's just been, and she's just been open arms for us. So it's been tremendous. Thank you. No, that's that's exciting, and and part of what I would like for people that are out there listening to, because when I'm listening to the journey, it's like there's there's all this treasure, and the treasure is everywhere, and then suddenly you meet someone, and 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 you just say that wow, and then you start to hear the stories, the story, what they have overcome, where they came from. I know my life is that way, and so I, I want to actually just as much as you can share a little bit of your journey, a little bit of the story, some of the things you have overcome, because here you. You are a beautiful fam. First of all, you're a beautiful couple. I, I'm just, it's such an honor. And But then also now we have the honor of having both your son-in-law and also your two beautiful daughter in the home, the whole family, and, and just joining the bigger family. And I just, uh, when I'm hearing, as I'm saying, what you have overcome, I know that's going to give so much hope. And I believe there's a baptism of hope that it would also take place as people are getting this overcomer anointing that is being released. So share just a little bit of the testimony and some of your journey, how you met Jesus, how you met each other, and then uh, bring us into some of the things that has been some of the keys on the way. So I guess our story, just to give a few um, vital details to know what it was that we were overcoming in, it seems like uh, God ordained so long ago for us to be able to break down walls and barriers for others. And um, that's been just a great honor, but it hasn't always been easy. I'm not going to sit here and and lie. Uh, But we met my freshman year in high school. He was a junior, and uh, he kind of annoyed me. (laughs) And so we did not. We did not fall in love right away, but he went on to college. And as I said, we grew up in a time in South Louisiana where it was not acceptable for a black person and a white person to date or fall in love. So he went away to college and he came back the summer before my senior year. And we saw each other at a fair and we he pursued and pursued and pursued. And then I won her. <laughs> you won? <laughs> I won. And then I, I finally gave in. 
and we started dating. And um, so it, I just ended up falling in love with him. And uh, I didn't realize how much, maybe at that time, how much it was going to cost for us to be in love and not just me, but cost him as well. Because, you know, I was raised in a home where black people and white people did not even mix as friends, much less mix as in relationship. Uh, we were taught that you could be friends with them out of the home, but you did not have them in the home. At that time, during my senior year, I graduated in 1996 uh, from Eunice High School. And at that time, we did not have uh, proms or homecomings that were together. That actually did not change until 2005. And so we uh, had a black prom and a white prom. We had a black homecoming and a white homecoming. So I just, just to stop for a second, I just thought that's very interesting because even now when we have Black Lives Matter and everything's been going on, we think about, oh, 50s or 40s. Yeah. But you're not... You're talk about this is 2005 oh yeah Correct. this is still in 2020 yeah, too, yeah. it's like my goodness <laughs> yeah. yeah so we had um you know for my senior prom i was not we were together and i wasn't allowed to bring him uh, because i wasn't allowed to bring a black date so he encouraged me to go anyway but i said no i would not do it without him and i think it's been that way in our lives ever since that we've just refused to do anything without each other and uh we just fought and we won and so we, he ended up giving me my own prom separate from the prom at the high school and it was the most special time <laughs> I'm just interested in what's that's amazing Cardell just even for you now as I'm saying we're, because again we okay, here we have a white lady dating a, a black black guy but from your perspective was your community the same way towards whites or would you feel the same thing or I mean how Correct. was it for you? The, my, the, the black community was felt the same way that you know white people white people use their white privilege to get places that we couldn't get, which wasn't always true, but just the way we was raised, you know, coming from our ancestors being slaves and, you know, stuff like that. So it was, it was, it, re it really was that way. In and your own parents being mistreated yeah, too. And, you know, so when I brought her home and I was like, mom, <laughs> meet, meet my girlfriend, she was like, uh, no. <laughs> H no, she was like no way. She turned around, went back in the house, and I was like, "Yeah, you good?" And she was like, "No, I'm not good." Mom wow. didn't want to have any part of it, so she was scared of what happened. What happened to her when she was younger? What happened to me? Being you know mistreated because I was with a white lady. And of course, we understand. Uh, in a personal way, because our daughter in North Alabama, in a small Alabama community, when she came home with an African-American, of course, Rayvon is part of our family. And and uh, as I said, and the wedding, I had my family from Norway that didn't know much about blacks. There was no prejudice from my family. They just didn't know. It's like, what is this? And so we had a wedding in Alabama and, and just it's been one of the biggest greatest gifts in our life and Lila Ann has been married for almost 10 years so so we kind of know it a little bit personal it's personal for us to see I remember one person who's close to me and say uh, who is this person in the picture I said oh that's my son-in-law oh no you, you're joking and I'm just a reaction of somebody close to me and I was like but I just I just love that person of course back because again for me it is a great joy and I don't I didn't I was not even raised around it it didn't exist for me I knew three black people before I was 18 years old that I've ever seen in my life. And all those were adopted 
as babies from Africa. So that's the only thing I knew. So we were never raised that color matter. It didn't exist in our system. So that's why it's so strange when I came to America. Wow. And then uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so here we are. Wow. Uh, Got married? We get married. Actually, my dad, uh, my dad is a, what most people don't know is that I was raised by, my dad was a police officer. He and my mom separated when I was seven years old, got divorced. And uh, from that moment on, they kind of both went their own way, uh, not on purpose. I think just devastation, life, not having um, a revelation knowledge of Jesus and who they are in Christ. I hold nothing against them for the life that I had, but I'm the youngest of four girls. So I was raised in extreme poverty. When I say poverty and people think, oh, you know, you didn't have, no, I mean poverty. Holes in the floors, one pair of jeans, one pair of shoes. Until I was old enough, I started working about 10, started working full time by the time I was 14. Um, By the time I was 12, I was drinking excessively. By the time I was 14, um, I was living the life of a full-fledged adult in every way. And so uh, by the time I was 15, I was already on drugs, um, partying led my own life. And by that time, my mom had kind of tried to give her life to God, but she lost me along the way. And, uh, you know, there just was a lot of resentment, a lot of rejection in my life growing up. And uh, the Lord, of course, Romans eight twenty eight is true. And he turned it all for my good. Yeah. And that rejection turned out to be protection for me um, because I'm his. And I always knew that I, I was set apart. And it, at first so long, I thought of it as being unloved and unaccepted. But the truth is, is that he loved me and he accepted me and he preserved me for himself. And um, he gave me that revelation. So I really believe that that's what gave me the strength to stand against everything that I stood against. So my dad was a police officer, well known in our community. He ran, uh, he was in politics. So I was really like doing it. Uh, If I was going to go all out, I was really going to go all out with it. And so he was actually running for chief of police. And uh, when he found out, I think it was that year that he decided to run for chief of police, but that did not turn out well when I told him the truth that I was in love with Cordell and uh, I was going to be with him. And so I got cut off in every way um, and did not have any relationship with my dad for uh, over a year and a half. He did not come to my wedding, which he regrets so much now. And um, he did not. He was not a part of it. We invited 100 people to our wedding. Babe, how many? 300 people showed up. But they all came to be onlookers. They were shocked. We were the first uh, biracial couple to be married in our whole area um, publicly. And so that was that was a you know turned out a big you know a big group of onlookers. So we had to have police presence, and then we got married. And life did not get any easier. It got harder. And uh, my husband did not come from poverty. His mother was very educated. She was a principal of her school. She worked. Uh, my father-in-law owned his own business, and he worked full time. So he did not come from the life of poverty. He had a mom and a dad in the house his whole life. No holes in the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and air conditioning. Two blue jeans instead of one. And even some Jordans. Jordans in the, front. the Lord is good at overcoming has perks. I have made up for the blue jean. Uh, the blue jeans. I, I now have made up for those. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so uh, we got married and uh, life got harder. Honestly, we didn't know Jesus. And now we know that God put us together. But And, and why? But back then, we had no idea, and we had no help. You have to understand, there was no one who wanted to touch us. Uh, we didn't even have—we couldn't even find a place to live. Like, we, white landlords wouldn't rent to colored 
people. And Don't say that word. If you hear him say that, he's just saying that's what they said. Well, that's terrible. They wouldn't rent to African-American. And one of them said, we'll rent to you, but um, you can't have more than six. More than six colors. More than six colors. If you have more than six colored people at your house, you have to get it out. It was in the current. lease. He put it in the lease. So... So uh, we, we couldn't have a we couldn't have a family you know get together. It's not funny. People though. signed petitions to get us out. They threatened to sign a petition when we did find a place to rent to get us out of the neighborhood. And black people wouldn't. They wasn't cool with it either because they were like, we don't want white people. We don't want the drama or the the man in because that's what black people thought of white people was the man and they that knew was my holding dad was them down. Yeah. So it was like we're not we're not bringing that into you know. Our neighborhoods, so couldn't rent from black, you know, from black people, African Americans, and we couldn't rent from white people either. Finally, we found the house. Shout out to Faye and Ernest Orsonot, yeah. who were the first per- people brave enough. It really was bravery. The chief of police was at our wedding as a guest, and I told his wife I saw her in the salon last week, and she cried because we talked about her husband and how beautiful his heart was and how he put his career on the line to be at our wedding because many people, white people, would have completely um deserted him for what he did by showing up to a mixed race, mixed culture wedding the way that we did it. So you fast forward to every hardship possible. We were very alone and um, didn't have much family um, on either side. His parents never deserted him. His parents loved him very much. Uh, His mom was just so afraid for the life that he would have being married to me. And I don't blame I don't blame her whatsoever. And in the end, I won her. She loved me with all of her heart. It took a long time, but she passed away last year. And um, I spent um, every minute I could with her. And she loved me very much, and I loved her very much. And she taught me so much about why she felt the way she felt and so much of what I know about why why black people feel like— White privilege does exist because it does, but you know, I hope that's not too racy to no, say. But um, they, you know, she taught me about why it does exist and why she was so afraid, and it it opened my heart so much. But then we we turned to more drugs and alcohol, and um, we were impoverished. And he had never lived that life before. I lived it my whole life. I've always worked two and three jobs. I, you know, I've always been that way. I've hustled because I had to. I was the youngest of four, but I took care of uh, all three of my sisters, mainly two of them. Uh, my older sister, I paid for all of her homecomings, all of her proms, her college. I took care of it because I hustled. I worked. I did what I had to do. And uh, not always the good way. You know, I was very brought up very hard, very in a violent atmosphere. Uh, I suffered a lot of abuse growing up, um, sexual abuse, mental, emotional, certainly physical abuse. And it made me become like what I experienced because it was the only way I knew how to protect myself back then. And so I became, I was very combative, very violent in my own right. I just wonder people even to hear this because I think that uh, you need to be aware that hurt people hurts people. Absolutely. And uh, so I think that just what we heard Heather say, because some of you are out there hurting and you're maybe even hurting people because you're hurting because pain seeks pleasure and you're looking for something. So just continue to listen to this. If some of you even sensing that there's perhaps 
root issues here and, and, right. and there's maybe a place in your life where love has not visited yet and it's going to happen today. So just Amen. just receive it. And a lot of, I think, uh, when we don't know, uh, we build, when, when we don't know the truth about Jesus and we don't know the truth about the love of the Father, we build up walls and we the enemy lies to us and makes us believe that we're protecting ourselves. So when I met my husband, he did not have a violent bone in his body, but my only reaction to disrespect or rejection was to fight, physically fight, because it's all I ever knew. And uh, I ruined, I, I just want to be honest to all of the wives out there and all of the husbands, I ruined a beautiful part of him with that because it's all I knew. And I literally drew that out of him. And, to, you know, I knew who I was raised by. Um, I knew that I was raised to fight. If I didn't know how to do anything else, I knew how to fight. And, um, Thankfully, again, Romans eight twenty eight. the Lord turned it around, and now I know how to fight in the Spirit. For anybody that I love, I'll go to war for it. I'm glad to have you in my corner right now. I'm just saying it. So I can be the lamb and you're the lion. So just <laughs> I, I've learned recently. Yeah, so we have the good good cop and bad cop. I can be the good cop, and then, no, we just. <laughs> it is the way. So, no, that's beautiful. Uh, the Lord, we separated and thought we filed for divorce early on in our marriage. We thought we were divorced. They put it in the Eunice News. My mom still has the clipping. And uh, 11 months later, God restored our marriage, put us back together, and we have been in love. In <laughs> blissfully in love. He's my best friend, and God he's, restored it like it never happened. Too. Yeah, I just I, I wanted to throw another ball that just came to my mind, and that is you have lost about 100 pounds. I have. In over. His, yeah, and it's just so there's an element even now as you are loving you the way Papa God loves you because you first started experiencing how much he loves you, but if something is happening to you in every area to see, we talked about, uh, Cardell, your value upgrade because Cardell, he's been a servant that have served everyone and he's done it very well. And I ask, what is your special sauce, Cardell? What did you say then, Cardell? Servant. Servant, okay. So, and then we had a conversation. What did you learn during that conversation? I learned that <laughs> a servant um, that serves is just a servant that serves. And people don't see him for nothing else but a servant. But with when Jesus served, it was a little bit different. And everybody was wild about how he served. And my revelation was that it was... He was royalty serving servers. So and that made the wow uh, factor. It's like Bill Gates shining the shoes of the janitor. Right. Oh, it is. <laughs> so, so when you know, I, we just saw that royalty all over you. You're so royal. And then to see that you, you don't have to serve, but you choose to serve. And the way you have served us and honor us, and that's for, for people you need to meet, Cordell, but just the way he honor and the way he served. But the beautiful part now is that he knows that he is royalty. And for anyone that is out there, I just felt that was a reminder for some of you because some of your identity is, uh, I, well, after everything Jesus has done, I'm just going to serve him. No, after everything Jesus has done, he made you royalty. So Jesus laid down everything, and he laid down all of that so that you could be restored back again to the original of who he intended for you to be. And now from that royalty that you choose to serve, there is beauty in that. So congratulations. So I appreciate that. Wow. And I appreciate the revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Wow.
So um, God restored our marriage, healed it completely. And from there, you know, at this point, we were uh, filing bankruptcy. Our daughter, Gabrielle, the, the, our youngest, the one who's 20, we still talk about her like she's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> she's, uh, she had gotten very sick while we were separated. So we thought we were divorced. And I told God, I made an inner vow. Be careful of those inner vows. You always have to eat them. Mm-hmm. And I, I made an inner vow. And I said, uh, you know, gives the enemy access to your soul when you make foolish inner vows. Just throw that out there. And I said, I will never be stupid twice. Those were my words. I married him once, but I will never be stupid twice. And, um, you know, because that's what I felt. I felt stupid because I let somebody hurt me and all my life I'd been hurt. And I I thought I had raised my defenses. But during this time, um, I was completely wrecked. And I met the Holy Ghost. Like, my, I, when I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, it lasted for two days. I could not go anywhere. I could not do anything. Uh, the, the Pentecostal preacher said, I have not seen this. We have only heard about this in the days of old. I was so filled. There was deliverance that took place. And uh, that day it was spoken over me that I would have, you know, a deliverance ministry. And so many times after that, but for two days, I didn't even realize what was happening because at that time it wasn't until we separated that I was so desperate that I actually began to desire to know that God was real. And so that was the first time. The second time of me being wrecked uh, and fully just completely done was last September with you. But there, um, God just delivered and started to change things. And then uh, within 11 months, restored our marriage. Daylin, our oldest one, who's also our worship leader on staff and um, so many other things that she does for us, media, (laughs) all of those things, youth pastor. But uh, she said to, when she was just a little girl, Papa Lave, she would say that God came and spoke to her and told her that that her daddy was coming home. And I would tell her, you know, I really want to say absolutely not. He's never, but I would say, no, baby, that's not going to happen. But it did happen. And God restored our marriage. And uh, we went on from there, met people who loved us for the first time, felt like it was real love, and um, introduced us to uh, the message of who we are in Christ, uh, our authority as a believer, um, all of those things. And we began to take what was being taught and apply it to our lives. And it completely took us out of poverty out of debt, out of lack. I'm living better than I have ever. I am so grateful. I thank God when some, when you've come from nothing and then you have something, I get in my 2020 enclave and I'm like, God, you know, and I pass by houses I saw growing up. And I would, I remember I would, when, when I was in high school, I would make people drop me off on the next block so they wouldn't see where I lived. And now I'll pull up at my house and I'm like, this is amazing grace. Like God did this for me. My, my daddy did this for me. And it doesn't matter what I lacked in my life. He filled in every gap. He found every weakness and he he added his strength and turned it all around. Every single part of it gave me the greatest ministry partner, the greatest life partner in the whole world who loves me. He allows me to travel the world and he makes doing the things that God has called me to do so easy because the way that he serves other people, he serves his wife and his children so beautifully. So I'm so grateful for that, that the doors to the nations have been opened and he has just believed in me 
and pushed me to do it all. That's so awesome. grateful. Just a little uh, hint as I came up with, if there's anybody in Italy that have a church in Italy here or ministry, because I know a lot of pastors are listening to this, next year that's on their list, 25th year anniversary. And uh, But make sure if you are inviting them to come to Italy or have friends, that there's going to be plenty of time for them to see Italy. I don't live by faith, I live by hints. So listen <laughs> to my hints right now. Italy. So anyone out there, especially Europeans that have friends in Italy, uh, I'm using my favorite cards for these people to be blessed in Italy and bless the socks out of them, and then I will be blessed to hear that. So anyway, that was just the commercial for today, and let's get back to it. There's a couple of things more that I, I wanted to, for people to capture and, and help, because I, I do want you to, to minister to them. But there are so many people in this season with there's been the racial, it's been political, it's been, we're living in a climate and even you have a t-shirt on to say, God loves the people you hate. And the good news, I don't hate anybody. So, Amen. wow. Amen. <laughs> yes, I just have this baba <laughs> love towards those people. But I said, because of who you are and, and the people that knows me, we get hundreds of invitations and all kinds of sizes, churches, conferences. But first it was when I met you, but also my wife came home and just so touched by your story and who you are. So I said, and, and you had mentioned, oh, if you ever could come to Louisiana. So for people, we are going to go to Louisiana in 2021. So that's kind of a public, and I'm saying that because of the way they love, but it touches my heart both when I hear about their church, that somehow your church is similar like Jesus. You welcome sinners and here drug addicts, <laughs> oh, homosexuals, lesbians, transgender. I mean, sinners are welcome there. I thought people had to be clean to take a bath. Ooh. Oh, no. Oh. So tell us a little bit about how you are loving well and how that, is that because the way you've been loved? Correct. Unconditionally, you choose to love people? Yes, sir. It's, that is totally the reason because, um, I mean, now we get a lot of, we get a lot of flack, a lot of uh, uproar about our church um, because we do allow drug addicts um, or what we welcome. Um, and even drug, drug dealers. Drug, drug oh, yeah. dealers. Um, <laughs> homosexuals. I mean, anybody that's hurting can come because we believe the church should be a hospital for the ones that were hurting and they could get healed. They could get everything they needed at the church because that's what Jesus is so in the Holy Spirit, um, so we just make that place for them. But we get a lot of flack for it because it's not the normal, typical, you know, thing for a church to do. Yeah. But it makes Papa Leif very excited. Yeah, <laughs> and it makes me excited too because um, at, at times in my life, people people never believed in me, mm -hmm. and I just want to believe in everybody that God yeah. sends to us. Give us five hundred of those over five hundred religious people any day. Yeah. And, you know, the Lord gave me a revelation years ago and about the church has, has made its own bed. Can I be very? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. The church has made its own bed in the sense that they are even in even right now in, in 2020. And they're they're saying, you know, we've got to stop the voice of the LGBTQ community and we've got to stop the voice of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I'd like to let the church know that you've done this to yourself. You made it a social club, a social network, and you locked out all these people and made gay people, made transgender people, made bisexual people. You 
you made them believe that number one, that like they weren't created from the same father, like they're not part of the same. God wants them to be part of the same family. And then you made them feel unwelcomed and you made, and this is for the drug dealer. This is for the prostitute that you said couldn't come in the way she was, she came in. This is for the meth addict who had to smoke meth before they came into the church and you were angry about it instead of embracing them because you didn't believe that you had the anointing and the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost that would set them free and bring them into a place of just complete uh, sober, uh, you know, complete sobriety where they could receive from God. You didn't believe in yourself, so you blame casted and shifted that onto them. And the Lord revealed to me, He said, they have the loudest voice because they have unity. The whole earth is angry. All of America, especially the American church, is so angry about the liberals and about the LGBTQ community and the, and the drug dealers and those who are wanting something for nothing. But you did this because you decided who you would welcome, you know, much like the Pharisees. You decided who you would welcome and who you wouldn't. And the Lord just brought that to our attention and was like, those doors are open for everybody. And I told every person in our church, every leader, if you are not okay with someone walking in here that doesn't look like you, doesn't love the same things that you love, love the same people, if they can't come in here and expose who they really are, then this church is not for you because we will not turn anybody away. I was just thinking because, as you know, just this last week we launched a new book, Healing the Orphan Spirit. Right. And that's what you're describing here. And we as a church has operated more like orphanages than family. And then you have all these people out there that are orphans. So when we operate as orphans and, and hurt people, again, hurts people. Right. And it's often inside that it's either rebellion or religion. So it's even when we struggle with the same sin as the people do out there, then as I say, heal people can heal people. But when God's people are not healed, you cannot bring healing. But what God is doing in this season, and that's the Zagapa Reformation, He's restoring his family yes. back. But he's first bringing us back again to the Father so that the world gets to see a papa that looks like Jesus. But then the world is going to see who we are because we learn how to love one another. Yes. And this is why I believe that this message of... Uh, what we are, what we're bringing now to, to the world, and I wanted you because I know you have just experiencing that. We're going to take a couple of minutes and just I sensing that we're just even going to experiencing a fresh baptism of love. And I sense just Heather that I wanted you because there is a there's a lot of people hurting out there, and I want them to hear the voice of the Father that they are welcome home. But I'm also sensing there's people out there that they've been afraid. They maybe been trained the way that some of you and your family was trained to kind of a us against them mentality, and it's still out there. And I just know that you have authority over what you love. And I know you love those people because you have overcome one area where the serpent has bitten you is where you have great authority. So I'm just sensing that there's going to be freedom taking place. I just felt that early on as a baptism of hope, meaning you're going to wake up with hope again. And the second, the overcomer anointing, you're going to overcome whatever obstacle is there. And what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to use this good. So Heather, just release that. And if you also want to say something, Cordell, you do. But we have a few minutes here, I'm just sensing that we need to release an impartation and people need experiencing. Uh, there's, there's, I feel it even in the studio. There, there's this liquid love that is about to touch people and yes. set them free. Whoa. Yes, hallelujah. Well, we're going to break every assignment of the enemy that has prevented that love, every assignment of rejection in the name of Jesus. We're going to break that. We're going to uproot it. The word says we can lay the ax to the root. We're going to release the fire of God upon that thing. So right now in the name of Jesus, and I just want you to lift your hands where 
wherever you are, if you're receiving this right now, I just want you to lift your hands. I want you to breathe deep in the name of Jesus. We speak to the spirit of fear. We speak to the spirit of rejection right now. We speak to the spirit of double-mindedness that was produced from that spirit of rejection in the name of Jesus. That part of you that has not been able to believe that love exists, that hope exists, that there is a brighter tomorrow right now. We speak to that in the name of Jesus. And I lay the axe to the root in your life in Jesus' name. And every symptom that's been released through that rejection, every symptom that's been released through living a life of being unloved, living a life of poverty, we speak to the spirit of poverty, to the spirit of lack that's often produced from the very spirit of rejection that's produced from racism, that's produced from hatred and pride. We speak to those spirits right now, those those demonic assignments that have been upon your life to stop destiny, to, to make destiny stall. You only get so far and then you stop. It's like five, it's like two steps forward and five steps back. Right now, I say that that will never be again in the name of Jesus. We uproot and lay the axe to the root right now. It will never produce fruit in your life again. So I declare that joy is right now. Joy is right now. Where there has been mourning, there is joy, supernatural joy that brings supernatural strength to do all the will of God. And according to Ephesians 3, you're being strengthened with mighty power in your inner man by the Spirit of God as you have revelation of what is the depth, the height, the width, to know the love of Christ Jesus that passes all understanding, that it would become real and relevant to you, that destiny would be blown wide open to you. In Jesus' name, every door open and every adversary to those doors being open would be pulled down right now in Jesus' name. Overcome. You are triumphant in Christ Jesus. The days of sorrow are over. I declare it to you right now. The days of darkness are over right now. I release light, the light of God. I declare light be in the name of Jesus, in your mind, in your thinking right now. Uh, Those who have been struggling in their mind and you've been not sleeping from it, constant. I see it's like, it's like thoughts are coming like a machine gun right now. I command those thoughts to be silenced in the name of Jesus. I command the thoughts of shame, even the thoughts of what if that are rooted in fear and in unbelief right now, I command them to be silenced. Every tail bearing spirit who's brought a lie from 60 generations back in your family that told you, you are going to be just like what you've always seen. I command the tail bearer to shut its mouth right now in Jesus name and to be cut out of your life life completely in the name of Jesus. And we declare hope and it will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. You have entered in as you receive this, take a deep breath in for me right now. Breathe out the life of God working in you. The word of God is working in you right now. The dark days have come to an end. Enter into the light and the glory and the fire of God. In Jesus' name, destiny being revealed to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Amen. Wow. Amen. 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 Now, whom the sun set free is free indeed. And I just, wow, just sensing here that I want you to just pray with me and agree with me that uh, every home, every church, even every, your community, your city is going to be an orphan-free zone. Yes. That I'm uh, just asking that, that the liquid love of Papa is going to start to sweep, that the orphan heart is going to be replaced with a spirit, with a heart of a son and a daughter uh, that says, 
Abba, Father. And because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is freedom. So I'm just releasing now that all over America, this agape reformation is going to start to spread. And it is time, first of all, for the orphan heart and the orphan spirit in the believers to be gone and replace that with a solid identity, with its intimacy, inheritance, and destiny. But also I'm just asking now that the world out there that has been yes. looking for Papa God, and they're going to find it by looking into the face of the sons and daughters of glory. So it's a rise and shine for your light has come. So we do have a healing the orphan spirit book. I encourage you as a businessman, just buy it for every one of your employees, school yes. teacher, let your student get it, Christmas time, church members, but it's just together. I think it's just going to be some tools available to have a major orphanectomy <laughs> in this season. Yes. So I bless you to be you, to be an original, not to be a copy. And I just bless you to stepping into glory, sons and daughters of glory, because creation right now is moaning and groaning yes. for the manifestations of the sons and daughters to be released. So I just bless you in yes. Jesus' name. And we're so excited to the next Kingdom Family Talk. Listen to this and then share it with somebody else. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif on social media at Leif Hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com.